Welcome back to Hour 2 of Freedom Speak with Becca Marie. You are listening to Conservative Talk ABQ, KDAZ 96.9 FM, AM 700, and listen from anywhere at conservativetalkabq.com. I want to invite you to check out my website, freedomspeaknm.com. You can listen to the replays of any of my shows there, including this one, which will be uploaded uh, not long after this show airs. So I'm here with uh, my friends uh, Charles Barnhart, Dale Perkins, and Jamie Fraser-Page. And we're having some discussions about firearms, about uh, the Constitution, about—and in this hour, we're going to talk about these illegal, unconstitutional laws that these people are trying to pass up at the Roundhouse. Now— If you didn't listen to the first hour, I want to remind you, okay, before we start this, I want to remind you what both the U.S. Constitution and the New Mexico Constitution say. U.S. Constitution, well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. New Mexico Constitution, no law shall abridge the right of the citizen to keep and bear arms for security and defense. For lawful hunting and recreational use and for other lawful purposes, defending yourself is a lawful purpose. But nothing herein shall—and this is the part that is unconstitutional in this, which they added later, I found out. But nothing herein shall be held to permit the carrying of a concealed weapon. That is infringement right there, and that does not belong in Section 6 of the New Mexico Constitution. No no God, that's a tough word. No municipality or county shall regulate in any way an instant of the right to keep and bear arms, which contradicts the previous sentence I just mentioned. Okay, so we're going to cover these. Uh, there's a number of these um, things they're trying to pass in Santa Fe. I'm going to start with, uh, huh? Yeah, Dale, you have a comment? Yes, I do. Okay, Thank go you. for it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you guys right now, and I want you to stop and think. This is not a Democrat. This is not a Republican problem. This is not a Libertarian problem. This is a gun problem. They're coming to take your rights and your firearms away from you. And I'm going to repeat this later in this show because you've got to get off the stick and start talking. My grandfather told me, stay quiet. Don't raise a ruckus. Don't speak out. And they'll overlook you. I'm sorry. It's time to be looked at. It's time for them to start listening to us. Get off your duffs and call your senators, your representatives. Go up to Roundhouse. I'll be up there. So will Jamie. But get off your duffs. We've got to take care of this, guys. Listen to what's happening and what these bills mean. Thank you. Okay. So first one I'm going to hit is I've got HB9 that they're trying to pass. And basically what is that? That is unlawful access to firearms by a minor. Now, I'm sure they're going to use this recent thing that happened in which this six-year-old managed to get a hold of a gun and went into a school and shot his teacher. This is something that is rare. It hardly ever happens. Um, And in my personal opinion, I think the parents were negligent in leaving this gun laying around where this six-year-old could get it. 
Um, I'm I'm an adult, and I and I live in a house with another adult, and I have loaded firearms around my house. But I don't have any minor children or anybody around my house that could get it and go out and do something with it. Okay, so do I think that the parents are negligent in that in that particular point? Yes, absolutely. Jamie, what's your what's your opinion on that one? When I lived with people who had children or I was in a situation where children were likely to come over, my guns were secured. And when I was a police officer, I was always armed. I always had weapons around me. When I was dating the woman who became my wife, she was living in a house with a 13-year-old girl, uh, belonged to uh, her landlady. And if I did not have the gun on me, if I, for whatever reason, was going to leave it in her room, it was secured. Um, my guns are securable as it is now. The only people besides my wife and I that have access to my firearms are the cats, and they don't have thumbs. So I don't worry too much about them. Um, there are already laws on the books, as was pointed out to Representative Herndon last session, when she brought this bill before, um, that make negligence resulting in injury to a child uh, a crime. You can also make uh, negligence which allows a child access to a dangerous implement a crime. So this is kind of redundant. Um, there was recently an incident that was shown on Unpatrol Live where uh, somebody called the cops because they looked out their, uh, their door and they saw this toddler with a gun in his hand. And uh, the cops in investigated and the father of the child denied that it had happened and everything else. And another person had a ring camera on their, on their doorbell and showed the police the video of this kid with his Huggies pull-ups <laughs> and a handgun wandering around, clearly pulling the trigger. Now, the gun had a loaded magazine, but no round in the chamber, so there was no bang. And the kid was probably too small to rack that gun. However, they charged dad with negligence under their existing laws and took him out of the house in handcuffs. It's not his gun, it belongs to a cousin or a brother or something who left the gun there. and created a situation because dad is a convicted felon. So dad shouldn't have a gun anywhere in his vicinity. So it happens. We've seen instances where toddlers have pulled a gun out of mommy's purse in the shopping center and discharged it, sometimes killing themselves. Allowing a kid access to any dangerous implement should be a crime of negligence. I don't think this is necessary. I think this, this criminalizes actions. As I said at the time, Representative Herndon is an urban individual. She is tone deaf, and this law, is this bill is tone deaf, to the culture of rural ranch and farm life, where kids routinely are trained in the use of firearms and have access to them, as does everybody else, for dealing with predators, for uh, dispatching injured or sick livestock, and for other purposes that are lawful. Yes, sir, thank you. I grew up on a working ranch. At the back door, there was a 
Winchester 3030 lever action all the time, fully loaded, round in the chamber. Shotgun was fully loaded, round in the chamber. Two handguns, fully loaded, rounds in the chamber. We was up in Westcliff, Colorado, where there was bears, mountain lions, and wolves, because the United States government planted the wolves back up there. And coyotes. But one of our worst fears was the dogs that people were bringing up and dumping because they didn't want them no more. And at the ripe old age of 13, I grabbed up the 41 Magnum pistol, threw it on, and grabbed the 30-30, and went down to our corral and shot nine dogs. And when I got done and put the gun away, my sister was with me. The guns were on the table, unloaded, and my mother picked up a buggy whip. Why are they unloaded? And I had to show why they were unloaded or she would have used that buggy whip. People don't teach kids the proper use. Yes, sir, well, I guess please. The question is, does the law violate the Second Amendment? Does it, uh, does it uh, <clears throat> impair your ability to keep or bear arms? In my opinion, yes, it does. Now here's here's you know I read this one over thoroughly and I was trying to figure okay there's got to be there's got to be a catch to this thing because that's the way these people think they're always looking for some kind of inroad in which they can violate the Second Amendment I mean that's what they do and I, I was reading this and it talks about uh, in uh, section A where it says a person commits the crime of negligently making a firearm accessible to a minor what's the definition of a minor I'm not uh, I'm not sure if they did they define they, what a uh, minor is let's see they define a minor elsewhere. Uh, yeah, a person uh, eighteen under un, eight under eighteen. Oh, I think. minor means an unemancipated person under eighteen years of age. Okay, so they can uh, a a minor can go out and uh, and get an abortion or or have their body body mutilated without parents' permission, but they can't have a gun. So now a minor uh, person of eighteen years old can own and possess a long gun. Yeah, that shotgun or a rifle. So here's the only little catch in this thing that I caught. Okay, in section A, uh, number two, there it says a minor accesses the. Okay, a person commits the crime of negligently making a firearm accessible to a minor if, and this is one of the circumstances, a minor accesses the firearm and displays or brandishes the firearm in a threatening manner. Okay. What's a threatening manner? I don't know. That, that, I don't think that's actually defined. Or, so all they have to do is brandish it in a threatening manner. Or causes injury to a minor or another person not resulting in great bodily harm or death. So the, the brandishing in a threatening manner, that's the part that's kind of in a gray area. Well, now, did you notice that if, if the minor gets the gun and just brandishes it, you you are guilty of a misdemeanor. Right. But if the minor gets it and hurts somebody with it, then you're guilty of a fourth-degree felony. So whether you're guilty of a, a misdemeanor or a felony depends on what the minor does. Yeah. 
Yeah. That, or if that, that won't work. <laughs> or like what Dale was talking about, about uh, how in these rural areas, these ranches and things like that, how children are routinely taught how to use firearms. And they're, they're minors, and they're brandishing firearms. I was raised in the city of Albuquerque. My dad, my dad taught me how to shoot at the age of 12. We went out hunting, and, and uh, I was taught the careful use of firearms uh, when I was a kid. Yeah, and, me and, too. Uh, I don't. I don't see. Uh, it's just the idea of not allowing children to. Well, it's silly. Yeah. So that's the that's the little point that I caught in this, in which that could be, that could be a slippery slope. And and not only that, but I mean, if if they, somebody reports you says, oh well, I saw a minor brandishing a firearm at this person's house. And then they come to your house, and uh, they decide to search your house, and they find some of these illegal weapons and haul you away and prosecute you on a fourth-degree felony. Just a thought. Well, uh, Do you have any more comments on this one, Jamie? This one is kind of well, kind of straightforward. It was interesting watching it in the last session because the bill was referred to the Finance Committee which nobody quite understood. Um, and in the Finance Committee, which all the committees are, are uh, largely represented by the majority party, obviously, but even in a room where the majority of committee members were Democrats, this bill got shut down hard. And Representative Herndon was not a happy camper when it happened. And what I said was pointed out by several of the Democrats from rural counties that said, this is not how it works where we are. And there are an awful lot of people uh, in the legislature who come from those kinds of areas and who represent a culture that is somewhat different from what you find in Santa Fe or Albuquerque or Cruces. Um, and they are perhaps our best hope for keeping some of this stuff bottled up in committee, which we were successful in doing in the last short session. So, you know, there's, I see no major differences between this bill and the one she brought the last time around. Mm -hmm. I think it's gonna have the same set of problems with the more conservative uh, and moderate Democrats that it had last time around. It's, it's tone deaf to the culture of this state. I certainly hope it doesn't go through because that would be a disaster if it does. So let's go on to the next one, HB 50. Now this one has a lot of problems. <laughs> that one uh, is entitled Possession of Large Capacity Gun Magazines. Now, this is clearly infringement. I mean, it's, I mean, it's blatant. I mean, they're they're telling you what kind of what capacity magazine you're allowed to have just simply own possess have they're 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 telling you and they're defining what a large capacity magazine is well i suppose they would point out that it's not an arm it's just the magazine it's just the magazine so yeah they might use that argument i can see that yeah, they'll say, "Oh, well, we're not we're not infringing upon your right to have arms." You know, just like they will uh, they they try to put laws on ammunition. It's like, "Well, that's not an arm, that's just the ammunition." But, you know, 
isn't taking away your ammunition and your magazines infringing upon your right to ha- to operate a firearm? Yes, the parts count. Yeah, the parts do count. That's a critical part. <laughs> well, this goes back to both the decision uh, in, in a vacant courtroom, basically, in Miller, uh, a couple of years after the 1934 National Firearms Act was passed, and to Scalia's opinion in Heller that we're talking about things which are in common use, things which are uh, commonly used by the military and therefore would be uh, appropriate for the militia. Things which aren't, might not be, that was the substance of the, of the opinion in, in Miller. But most of the weapons that they're trying to demonize come standard from the factory with what we think of as standard capacity magazines. ARs come with a 20 or 30 round magazine. That's typical. Mm -hmm. That's also what's issued to our military as the standard magazine for those rifles that are being used by them. Uh, Basic loadout currently uh, is uh, 210 rounds in seven magazines, 30 rounds. So, you know, it's the same thing with handguns. The standard military handgun as currently issued comes standard with either a 17 or 21 round magazine. That's not large capacity. Yeah, the smaller the caliber, the more ammunition the magazine carries typically. In general, yeah. Yeah, yeah like my 9mm I have. Uh, it. I can't remember how many. It's at least 12, I think. Um, you know, whereas my 45 that I have holds like eight, you know. Which would, under this, be a legal magazine. Right, right. So I can carry the larger caliber weapon, but not the smaller caliber one. Yeah. Again, we go back to the fact that the people who write these do not really understand what it is they're trying to regulate. You know, it would be like me trying to regulate uh, the use of uh, certain drugs. I, I don't know enough about them to do it. Our representatives, our legislators, seem to think that their feelings about these things override any reality. And reality is one of those things you really kind of can't escape. These are realities which we can point out to them. Um, and as Dale said, if everybody who feels that they don't want to have their rights infringed upon lets their representatives know, even hardcore anti-gun people who are following the agenda, when their, their assistants come into them with the checklist and the majority of the checks on that page are in the no on this, on this bill, that's something they can't entirely ignore because that represents votes they might not get in the next election. They're aware of those things. They have to be aware of those things. So if you make noise and are heard, it gets listened to and has some effect. And it can't just be Dale or me or the NMSSA or the NRA, which does a really good job in this state, by the way. Mm -hmm. Um, It has to be we, the people, speaking vox populi to our representatives. That's what a representative government is supposed to be about. Make it be about that. 
That's the most important thing that we can do with this. Participate. Go up to the roundhouse. Get on Zoom when it works. When it works, um, right. Yeah. I mean, that was a problem last session. But make the effort. And uh, if you make the effort, we have been able in the past to defeat these things and get them bottled up in committee. Yeah, I mean, we've had we've had some really, really good results by people simply just burning up their phone lines. Just call, call, call. Call them. Call them. Send Get them emails. The flood Get them. them. Write them. Write them. Flood, flood them with emails and phone calls. You know, yeah. the thing, you know, go ahead, Dale. Guys, gals, you've got to remember, our governor is a lame duck. She is going to push everything she can. And just with the red flag law, only time they're supposed to be able to call a special session is for the budget. But she called two special sessions and called them back in and have them pass things that she wanted done. The red flag law for one, and the other one I'm not going to talk on, but that is something that she is famous for doing. Well, here's the thing I have the biggest problem with is that people seem to not understand where your place is as a individual, as a we the people, as as a um, as a citizen of this country. Okay, these people, the governor, uh, these law enforcement officials, these people all exist to serve us. And, and if you if you look at the way the Constitution's written, it's centered around that about the government is there to serve the people, not the other way around. But what they've managed to do over time is they is they've made people believe that they serve the government, and I think this is what people really really believe. And you know, you look at this law and it talks about how well we the people aren't allowed to have large capacity magazines but the government is allowed to have large capacity magazines and why is that because they want to have the upper hand they want you to bow down to them now what is the consequences for not following this order that they're trying to put through fourth degree felony fourth degree felony now, I've got a question for you, sir, judge. Mm -hmm. After you have so many fourth-degree felonies on one subject, that makes you a bitch or a criminal, doesn't it? I, I can't really answer that. I think there, there may be such a law, but it wasn't in my jurisdiction. That's a district court stuff. But, uh, you know, if you collect so, so many fourth-degree felonies, you should be able to trade them in for a big one. Don't you think? <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that, that I find in here interesting, when you get down to Section 2 on appropriation, $1,500,000 is appropriated from the general fund to the Department of Public Safety for expenditure in fiscal year 2024 in a single year to carry out the provisions of this act, including the funding of additional local and statewide law enforcement, court process, and incarceration. Any unexpended or unencumbered balance remaining at the end of yada yada will back to the general fund. So they are looking to be spending 
a million and a half dollars to go out and find people who have these larger than nine round magazines and try them, convict them, and lock them up. That sounds like a hunting license to me. Yeah. It, it is. And I think that that is, it further divides the people from the people who are supposed to be protecting us. Um, I don't, I never liked the term to protect and serve because I don't like the idea of being anybody's servant. But I'm certainly the employee of we the people when I, I'm acting as a police officer. And uh, my job was not to uh, make criminals out of people who are basically law-abiding. It was to do something with the people who broke real law. And there are two types of laws. There's the malum and say crime, which we all understand, murder, rape, robbery, burglary, things like that. And then there's what's called malum prohibitum, which are laws which exist because somebody doesn't like that action. What frequently in times called victimless crimes, although the victim tends to be the state. Um, I have no problem with locking people up who do things that are truly bad or evil, none whatsoever. But when you do that to people who are trying to follow the law, you know, we don't prosecute people for gun crimes very often. As a matter of fact, in Bernalillo County currently, um, the federal government, the FBI and the, state, and the U.S. prosecutor, U.S. attorney for the state of New Mexico, are adopting gun crime cases, taking them away from the county for federal prosecution. Because among other things, the county doesn't really prosecute people for gun crimes. There is an enhancement at sentencing available for the use of a firearm in the commission of certain felonies. I've talked to lawyers in this state. It was the same in California. The first thing to go in a plea bargain are the gun enhancements. Well, we'll take the gun enhancements off the table if your guy pleads to this offense. That cuts five to ten years off of the, the potential sentence. Again, as I said earlier, if you don't have consequences for illegal actions, people keep doing them. So people are going to continue to use guns. There was a time in, in the United Kingdom where almost no criminals were armed because the penalties for using a firearm in the commission of a crime was significantly worse than if you committed that crime with a blackjack or a stick or whatever. Um, when people started not being consequated like that, the use of firearms became more common. And you have now a situation where there's a lot of gun crime in the UK. And British police who have been unarmed since Robert Peel created the first police force in England are now carrying guns. More than a third of the officers in the Metropolitan Police Department are gun authorized. They have gun units going around with automatic weapons dealing with that kind of crime something that never happened because the bad guys didn't want to do roughly twice the time for sticking up a bank with a gun. Today, there's not a real hard penalty at the state level for doing that. Mm -hmm. And we're going to make criminals of the fourth degree for simply having a magazine that has too many rounds in it.
And here's the thing, okay, that I kind of wonder about, about enforcement of this. Okay, they, they pass a law saying that it is illegal for you to possess a magazine that holds 10 rounds or more. Okay? So what if somebody just reports you and says, hey, I, I, I think that, I, I know that that person has illegal magazines in their house. Can they come to your house because they have reasonable suspicion and search your house? Is this going to, my, my, my guess is this could easily turn into door-to-door gun confiscation. They'd have to have a warrant signed by a judge to come in their house and search. How hard would it be for them to get a warrant in this state if somebody said, hey, I know that person has a bunch of illegal magazines uh, in their house? Something like falling off a log. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was afraid of. And, and as you said earlier, it's even easier if they do it under red flag. Mm-hmm, exactly. Because to get a search warrant, you have to have more than reasonable suspicion. You have to have probable cause. And... I don't think it's any secret. Every cop that I know has a judge that will pretty much on application sign your warrants because they believe you to be a trustworthy person who doesn't come to them with bad stuff. On the other hand, with a red flag, you don't even need that. You need a reasonable suspicion. You need somebody saying this person could be a danger to themselves or others. I know they have all these dangerous large capacity magazines <laughs> and suddenly APD in the fullness of time shows up at your door. That's a fairly easy path to that kind of confiscation and a path that I am sure that the uh, governing bodies in a lot of jurisdictions in this state, not pointing any fingers at Tim Keller, but uh, would encourage in their police departments. Yeah, I have lefties all the time when I'm talking about uh, that uh, their goal is to is gun confiscation. And this legislation could certainly lead to that. But, hey, we're at the break. Uh, we'll be back, and we're going to continue with the rest of these bills, uh, which are just outrageous, uh, because you, know, you need to know about this stuff. So we'll be right back. I'm Dr. Karen Genter from High Desert Chiropractic and Wellness. For 27 years, I've been helping patients by gently treating the root cause of their health issues, not just symptoms. Treatments include various chiropractic techniques and therapies, such as electrical stimulation, ultrasound and intersegmental traction, or the roller table. Let's help you be your best self by helping you achieve optimal wellness and maintain it lifelong. Located at 5310 Homestead Road, Northeast, call us at 505-292-2226. Interested in getting your concealed carry permit? Perkins Protection Training offers state-approved concealed carry classes for both New Mexico and Utah, taught by a certified NRA instructor, local woman-owned and ran by husband-wife team since 2004. Individual coaching ensuring every student learns according to their individual needs, complete with pre-class and follow-up tutoring. One-on-one, beginner, and advanced classes also available. Mention KDAZ for 10% off class. Call 505-238-1214. That's 505-238-1214. 
or on the web at PerkinsProtectionTraining.com. Hello, I'm Dr. Dan Lafferty. And I'm Dr. Stephanie Z from ABQ Gentle Dentistry. Putting off a trip to the dentist due to dental anxiety? Let us ease your fears. At ABQ Gentle Dentistry, we are gentle from your first phone call with the receptionist to the dental chair for treatment. We offer oral conscious sedation, IV sedation, and nitrous gas. We have the latest technology to handle all your dental needs right in our office. Same-day crowns, 3D x-rays, 3D printing, digital intraoral photos, and laser technology. Let us transform your life by transforming your smile into a smile you can love. We also offer clear tray orthodontic therapy. You're part of the family here at ABQ Gentle Dentistry. Gentle is not just our name, it's how we treat our patients. We accept most insurance plans and also work with multiple lending companies to help make financing possible. Y hablamos español. We're located at 4550 Eubank Boulevard, Northeast, Suite 101. Give us a call at 505-292-8588 to begin your journey to an awesome smile. Or on the web at albuquerquegentledentist.com. everybody welcome back to freedom speak with becca marie you're listening to conservative talk abq kdaz 96.9 fm am 700 and you can listen online at conservative talk abq.com i'm here with my good friends dale perkins uh, judge charles barnhart and jamie frazier page and we're talking about these uh, gun grab bills that they're trying to put through in santa fe and uh, this is very, very worrisome. It should be worrisome to any of you that uh, that own firearms. Any, actually, it should be worrisome to everybody. Okay, that they the government can infringe upon your rights to keep and bear arms. What right are they going to go after next? Because if they have no respect for a right, then the entire bill of rights goes out the window. So, a question I was thinking about is, one thing I know after everything that's been happening over the past few years, is there seems to be a shortage of lawyers to fight these cases, because from what I understand, the governor has retained most of the larger law firms in the state, and they're, uh, they can't represent you because they're already retained. Have you heard anything about that, Jamie? No, not specifically. Yeah. Um, I do know, and this is something that comes up all the time, people ask us, you know, why aren't you suing the government for this, that, or the other thing? And I went, you have to have what's called standing. And what that means is that somebody has to be the poor soul that violates one of these laws and gets arrested and locked up. And these days, you know, probably released on their own recognizance and is therefore a victim of the bad law, and then you can move forward. And there are attorneys who'll take the cases, but you have to have somebody with standing to fight that particular case. Mm -hmm. And nobody is really all that tremendously interested in being the poor soul, because defense attorneys ain't cheap. Now, we've been told that uh, one of the groups that provides uh, legal defense, uh, which I'm a member. Me too. Um, will defend us on red flag. Mm -hmm. We don't know specifically and haven't seen in writing whether they'll defend us on some of this other stuff. If that would be the case, 
perhaps some of us might be willing to be the poor soul. Sacrificial lambs. Exactly. (laughs) That gets caught with, you know, the 15-round magazine that I usually have as my backup to my everyday carry. Sure. Absent that, I don't have the kind of money to afford a good defense attorney to take this thing and run it all the way up, probably, to the Supreme Court. You know, one thing I, I talked about a while back, I was talking about oath of office. And, you know, these politicians, anytime you're in government service, you take an oath of office to defend and protect the Constitution of the United States of America and the Constitution of the state of New Mexico, in the case of New Mexico. So I know that in other states where they've tried to put forward laws like this, they've been struck down pretty quickly by a higher court as unconstitutional. So why wouldn't there be a consequence for these politicians trying to put forth bills which have already been deemed unconstitutional? Isn't that breaking their oath of office? Yes, ma'am, it I mean, sure is. You are knowingly breaking the law and violating your oath. Should there not be a consequence for that? My, I think you should be thrown, thrown out of office for doing that, honestly. Thank you very much, because that is one of the things that we've looked at and tried, but we've been blocked up there for doing that. I mean, if you make an oath, there should be consequences, right? That's just the way I think. Well... Otherwise, what's the purpose of an oath? It's meaningless if it me if it has if it if you're not bound to actually following through. If you don't take and pay your bills, isn't there a consequence? Well, yeah, stuff gets repoed. They turn turn your electricity off. They uh, ruin your credit. I don't. There's a number of consequences to that. And if you get nailed by an officer for speeding on an illegal camera. What happens? You get a warrant out for your arrest if you do not pay the ticket. Well, actually, I can tell you from personal experience, those, uh, those speed cameras, I mean, we all know they're unconstitutional because you have a right to face your accuser. Is that camera going to show up in court and talk to you and debate you? Um, but uh, I can tell you from personal experience, Dale, those tickets are easy to beat. I fought mine. Did you? And there was an officer there, there saying, I'm the one that issued the ticket. Uh-huh. But he's not the one that pulled me over. Right. No one pulled me over. You're not going to win thing, the case based on that, though. Second thing is that it was a speed trap because it was one-tenth of a mile from one speed sign to another. And then the camera was only uh, 300 yards past that. I'm sorry. I'm not going to cause a wreck to... Because I got to drop my speed down. Yeah. Boy, we could get off on a tangent on that and I could talk about it, but I don't want to do that. Because <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get way off, off track. I don't even know what the mechanism is for holding elected officials accountable for a willful violation of their oath. Um, I mean, they'll claim, devil's advocate time, they'll claim that there had been no actual determination that this law was in fact unconstitutional. But see, if it was struck down previously, then there is evidence. Indeed. Yeah. I give you, I give you a great case in point. San Francisco, when I was there, uh, passed a city ordinance to essentially ban the possession of handguns in the city. 
Now, at the time, California had, as does New Mexico, um, uh, a set-aside, just like it says in the New Mexico Constitution, that the state is the only one that can make firearms law. And when the city of San Francisco passed the law, they knew that it would not pass constitutional muster at the state level. But they did it anyway. And predictably, it was struck down by the state Supreme Court as violating the state constitution. That decision, the ink on that decision had not even dried when the city of Berkeley cut and pasted the San Francisco ordinance and passed it in city council, knowing that it was against the law, against the constitution. What they said in both cases, in the city of San Francisco and the city of Berkeley, was we did what we thought was right. They struck it down. It wasn't our fault. We tried. We tried to protect you, but we were prevented from protecting you. They signaled their virtue in letters 47 feet high. Mm. That's what they do. That's how they act. They don't care if it's struck down. They'll inconvenience a bunch of us in the meantime. How long would it take for uh, a case involving the possession of a, a magazine of greater capacity than allowed by law to work its way through the court system to get it up to the point where, because the state Supreme Court won't strike it down, you can bet your boots on mm. that. Oh, yeah. Until They're in the gets, pocket of the governor. And exactly. Until it gets to the, to, through the federal system to the Supreme Court. We're talking years, potentially. Basically, While you're hanging on the on the tender hooks of your fate. Yeah, go ahead, Judge. What's your take idea, on this? Basically, that whole idea uh, violates the separation of powers idea between the courts and the legislature. Courts really can't tell the legislature how to make laws. It's their business. Mm-hmm. But but okay, what's your what's your opinion on what I said about well, trying the- to knowingly pass a law which has already been struck down and has been deemed unconstitutional? It's there's there's nothing illegal about it uh nothing the courts can do about it except strike it down the next time it comes up but see isn't that a violation of your oath of office though well if that's the case then you can uh perhaps because you're knowingly a, uh, trying to pass an unconstitutional law perhaps there is a method you can have uh, for citizens to recall you uh and failing that they can certainly unelect you the next time you're you're you run for office but that's the only uh that's the only remedy that i know of hmm Many of our uh, esteemed representatives at the highest level of this state are recall-proof. They managed to get the thing set up so that you can't recall the governor. Oh, yeah. So, you know, how do, how do we redress our grievances in the normal fashion? We can't because they're safe from recall. And here's you know? another thing that I, haven't, that I haven't brought up already, that the so-called state of emergency that the the governor declared is still in place people don't think it there is no emergency yet the state of emergency giving her much more power than normal is still in place and i i believe she plans to keep it in place as long as she's in office so how would that apply to all of this too i mean i don't even have any idea of how over the top the enforcement could become based on public safety yeah, or it's, it's public always, health concerns. It's always that the very fact that the Democrats have been trying to handle the quote-unquote gun violence epidemic along epidemiological 
pathways is insane to me. You know, it's not a disease. It's a, it's a, a legal problem. And trying to use the methodology of an entirely different thing to deal with that problem doesn't make sense. But that's what they're trying to do. Oh, just like they're doing with the whole climate change scam. They're trying to use that as a means of all sorts of stuff, you know? So the next one we have here is House Bill 72. That one is unlawful possession or transfer of a semi-automatic firearm converter. Now, we kind of touched on that earlier about the bump stocks and the uh, and the, what's the trigger thing where you modify the trigger where it, it binary. Uh, binary trigger yeah where basically the binary trigger is when you pull the trigger it fires around and when you release the trigger it fires around now i mean i've personally never seen a a use for these things i mean if 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 I was, yeah, they're fun. You go out in the range and you, you spew a lot of bullets down the range, which, you know, I, I just, I di- I'm just, you know, for me, it's just the money is tacking up every time I hear all these be- bullets. You know, it's let's, like it's 30 cents around. It's like, oh, my gosh. Let's educate you. The primary trigger was set up and developed for shooting skeet. Where you say pole... A high house throws the bird, you press the trigger, and then the low house throws the bird, and you let go of the trigger. That's what it was set up for. I never heard that. That's interesting. Double okay. barrel shotgun. Right. And the first time I seen it, I was totally shocked, and I thought something was wrong with the gun. And then I was <laughs> explained to and educated on how to use it. It is where they can get the second shot off on the low house or the high house faster than you can with moving your finger. But I proved I can move my finger faster than their trigger can work. Yeah, don't, uh, don't, let's see, I, last, seems like guns I've seen like that, they have a, they have the trigger uh, that's farther out, you pull it, and then you pull it further, and then it hits the next trigger. So I, I don't really see the advantage of having a, a binary trigger. On the binary trigger, you press it, uh-huh. and then you release it, and it fires on both actions. Sure. So if you pressed it and you did not want to fire that second round, you'd have to put the shotgun on safety before you release that trigger. That just ne- doesn't even sound like a good feature to me. And my question is this. When you take that safety off... And you release the trigger, is it going to go bang? Right. I don't know. I don't have them. I'm not going to have them. But see, like the point I made earlier, it's like, okay, I, bump stocks and binary triggers is something I would never have. I just don't really see a, a, a real purpose for having one, really, in any situation, as far as I'm concerned. But the point is, is if you, if you want to have one, if you really think that that's cool and you want to do it... Um, According to the Second Amendment, you're allowed to. And to restrict that is infringement. Well, their next step they're going to do is say that we cannot have red dots. We can't have scopes that increase our vision and the range that we can shoot. That will be the next step they're going to go for. Yeah, because every scope-sighted hunting rifle is a sniper rifle. 
You can't have that sniper rifle. Why are you wanting to be able to put a bullet downrange at 300 yards in a half-inch group? Most of the laws that we're talking about, and a lot of the laws that preceded this, like the NFA, um, were written in ignorance. Uh, there's a whole lot of stuff now about pistol braces. And they, they want everybody to either surrender them or they're giving us an amnesty period where we can register them as a short barrel rifle for free without having to pay the, the $200 tax stamp. They'll give us a tax stamp for free. Of course, then they have a registry of the gun. Right, which um, is the goal. The reason that those exist in the National Firearms Act is real simple. The original National Firearms Act included as weapons that would have to have a $200 tax stamp and an enhanced background investigation and be registered, all handguns. And somebody tugged on the sleeve and said, that's not a good idea. But someone before that had tugged on the sleeve and said, all they'd have to do is cut the barrels of a legal rifle or shotgun down and cut the stock down and make it concealable. We should make those illegal if we're going to make handguns fall under the NFA. Well, lo and behold, they didn't ultimately include handguns in it, but they left short barrel rifles and short barrel shotguns in the NFA. So they're a highly regulated device. The way I look at things like bump stocks and binary triggers, it's a poor man's way to enjoy a rich man's enjoyment. <laughs> yeah. Fully automatic weapons since the 86 Hughes Amendment was passed in May of 86 are prohibitively expensive, seriously expensive. We're talking tens of thousands of dollars in most cases, plus the ammo. Mm -hmm. But you can have your normal cost six or $800 gun with a bump stock or a binary trigger and pretend you're shooting a fully automatic weapon. It's cosplay. Sure. And Should it be illegal? No. 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 But it it's be. not like it's, you know, the end of the world. Well, here's something to look at. They're wanting to take the bump stock and the buy triggers away from us because they say you can fire faster. I'm sorry. Most people cannot handle them and hit the targets. It's a waste of ammo. And if they're saying that this will cause more human damage because you have a by a, by a trigger how they miss with them 95 percent of the time yeah it's absolute nonsense like like guys telling you during the break it's like if i was in a combat situation i would be using a semi-automatic rifle because i can carefully place each shot and 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 i can do that very quickly because i'm a good shot as you know yes so, i do know so so um I, I wouldn't want to waste ammunition, number one. I mean, if you're in a firefight, are you going to want to use up all your ammunition so the bad guy can come get you? No, I'm going to I'm going to conserve my ammo and make sure every shot counts. Well, as usual, the question is, really, does it impair your ability to keep or bear arms? Yes, it yes, does. Yes, it does. It does, so it's uh, contrary then to the Second Amendment. Right. Right, it is. All of this is infringement. And to the New Mexico Constitution, for that matter, because you're probably not concealing them. Yeah, right, you're not. 
Yeah, and that and that argument you made. This is this is the ridiculous thing you think about this. How short barrel uh, shotguns and 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 rifles are illegal, but yet handguns are not. Um, what the heck is the difference? <laughs> really? I mean, think about this. It's, it's optics. Got to remember when the gun control when the National Firearms Act was passed. In the 30s, we were in the middle of uh, mobile bandits, desperados running wild through the Midwest, a lot of gunplay, a lot of fully automatic gunplay because prior to this, fully automatic weapons were expensive, but they were not unobtainable. And of course, a lot of those people didn't buy them. They stole them from, among other things, National Guard armories. Um, so. You know, that was the optic. They were trying to curtail the action of this new class of mobile bandit with fully automatic weapons. And that was the intent of it. Uh, if you look at the number of crimes that are committed with guns that fall under the NFA, they are negligible. Um, the majority of crimes are committed, if you look at the statistics, with handguns which are much more easily concealable than an AR pistol with, a, with a, a, a brace on it. You know, would I carry something like that? Close range is just as effective. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. Know? Okay. Um, and once again on this one, they want to appropriate $1.5 million of your hard-earned taxpayer money to, uh, so that they can uh, pay people to come shake you down. I mean, that's basically what it comes down to. So, any, any more comments on that one, or you want to move on? They're going to take our hard-earned money that they have taken away from us, quote, under taxes, to come in and make honest, good-working, hard-working people felons. Felons. Is exactly what this <clears throat> is coming down to. Yeah, yeah. And you were talking about emergency. Section 4 of this is titled Emergency. It is necessary. Oh, here we go. Public peace, health. Public peace, health, and safety that this act take effect immediately. That's right. Because these things are causing havoc, not in the streets of our town. What's causing havoc in the streets of our town are criminals who are not in prison using weapons they cannot legally possess, that you or I could possess legally. It's not some thing that makes your gun go faster. Where's the emergency? Well, here's something for everyone to think about. In this town, there was just uh, armed robbery done, and when the two ladies that was running out of the building was shooting over tops of other people, when the police was called, and it was called in by an officer that was retired, and he said, shots fired, shots fired, shots fired, and give the make the model of the vehicle. And 911 says, it's going to be two to three hours before we can get someone out there. Now, wait a minute. Why? Simple question. Why? Well, Albuquerque PD has been working understaffed by anywhere between 250 and 400 officers for as long as I've lived here. And it's getting worse 
because with the loss of qualified immunity, which is a whole other thing for a, another day, why would anybody want to carry a badge in this state? I certainly wouldn't. No. Qualified immunity is is a a a, a subject that can be badly misused to protect bad cops. But it also protects good cops who are trying to do the right thing. And when you take that away, you're standing out there with your nether parts exposed for every action you take. And uh, that's not going to encourage people to enter the field. I just spent time talking to a young lady who wanted a career change in the law enforcement out of doing it partially based on the fact that she's five feet tall and also based on the fact that without qualified immunity, she's out there unprotected by the system. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, let's see. So in other words, this law, as soon as they pass it, it goes into effect. Yeah. Because it's a public health emergency. Well, Notice how I mentioned earlier how the state of emergency is still in effect? Yes. That's how she gets away with this stuff. That's a standard emergency clause. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, so let's go on to HB 100. Okay, that's the one that deals with the 14-day waiting period for firearm sales. Now... We've only got a few minutes left in this hour, so we'll just kind of touch on this, and then we'll we'll continue that and finish up. Uh, we've got this, and then the large capacity magazine and assault weapon ban uh, that we're going to oh talk about. <laughs> I know assault weapons. Oh my God, they're so scary. And uh, and then in the third hour, I want to talk about the next couple of uh, releases of the Twitter files because I've been covering a couple of those each week. But anyway, so the 14-day uh, waiting period. Now, <clears throat> here's my first thoughts on this, is that let's say, for instance, you are a, uh, a battered wife, and your ex, uh, soon-to-be ex, has threatened to kill you, and you've got a restraining order, which those like, like that really helps. Um, and you want to be able to protect yourself. You feel like you are in immediate danger, and you want to have a firearm at your house. So you go <clears throat> to buy a firearm. You do the background check, which, by the way, is unconstitutional, but you do it anyway. You do your background check, and it comes up good. And then you got to wait 14 days before you can have the gun that you just bought. Within that 14 days, uh, the, the big, bad, uh, crazy, uh, murderous ex uh, could uh, break down your door and come in and kill you. Well, first thing you better understand, if you have a restraining order in a divorce case, you both have restraining orders. Second thing is, when you're under a restraining order, you're not allowed to have a firearm. In the state of New Mexico. Oh, interesting. Because neither one of you are supposed to have firearms where you can't go kill each now, other. Now, where did you get that information, Dale? Because I recall um, years ago, I had a crazy person that I, I was involved with, and I had to get a restraining order on them. There was no restraining order on me. As a matter of fact, you the lawyer— You married to him. No, but if you're married to him, you both—is that true, Judge? But here's Judge? the thing. I've had students that I've had to remove out of my class— because they both 
had restraining orders against each other. They weren't supposed to be in a thousand foot of each other, but they were sitting there laughing and giggling and having fun with each other. Say, hey guys, we're out of time in the second hour, so I want to continue this conversation in the third hour. So everybody, don't go anywhere because we got lots of stuff still to cover. 